Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. As always, I am Sean Harris, and I'll be joined today by Jovan Lazo. In our last two episodes, we focus on providing advice from the perspective of someone who recently completed their first year of residency. In today's episode, we're actually flipping to the other side of the coin and focusing on what residency directors look for in prospective residency candidates. Um, we actually tried a different approach in today's episode where we actually had some students via our Instagram and our Facebook page. We actually came up with a Google form and had some input from some of our listeners to ask some of the questions in today's episode. And our guest today, we actually have Dr. Marini, who is the PGY1 Residency Program Director, Clinical Pharmacy Manager, and the Antimicrobial Stewardship Campus Champion at Advent Health Winter Park. Well, Dr. Marini, if you want to go ahead and briefly introduce yourself and your program. Hey guys, well thanks for having me this evening. Um, so I, you know, as Sean said, I am the PGY1 uh, Pharmacy Program, Residency Program Director. Um, we started our residency program in 2018, where we, uh, I, in 2017, I went to ASHP and I basically uh, sat with, I was on the Orlando um, promulgating board as, as a, sort of a paradigm, I had sort of a, a map of what our program was going to look like for its first year. And we uh, interviewed and got our first resident for the 2018-2019 year. And now we're currently in our third year and we're recruiting for our fourth year residency. And we take one, one residency, uh, one, one candidate. Uh, applications are due January 3rd in the forecast. And we are about a 342 licensed hospital bed, uh, acute care hospital with um, comprehensive uh, stroke center. We are, um, excuse me, we're a primary stroke center. We are a, um, we have a rehab, a new rehab center that was um, just put in uh, recently. We had from the Nicholson uh, donation, so it's called the Nicholson Pavilion. We uh, have a robust antimicrobial stewardship program. We have expertly guided emergency department services. Uh, we have a 20-bed ICU, a surgical progressive floor, uh, orthopedics, and of course, we're known for the mother baby as the mother baby hospital within Advent Health. So it's sort of an introduction as to what our hospital has to offer. Yeah, I know. It sounds like you guys really do a lot of everything there at Winter Park. Growing a lot, we're actually um, installing a new ED. We're under a lot of construction, and so the new ED is going to have a lot more um, nicer features for our patients and, of course, for our providers. Nice. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the hospitals around here, like in the, the Advent Network, are expanding. So that's great to hear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, to our opening question today, we got asked a couple times, "Why should I do a residency? Why should students pursue a residency?" Well, you know, I've been practicing pharmacy for 11 years now, and even when I got out of pharmacy school, you didn't absolutely need a residency to become a clinical pharmacist or a clinical pharmacy specialist. And, you know, it's it's not 100% mandatory these days, but it is heavily emphasized. And it also, it's a level up for pharmacists in general. It's truly, you know, a way for pharmacists to set themselves apart and into the and get into the clinical sector, and it's three years of training in one. So it really, um, I think it's important because it gives you the tools and the skills that you need to do things like publish, you know, write, get get involved with you know research and ME. It gives you a lot. It gives you a lot of skills and a lot of avenues to take um, as you you know advance through the career and you know, there's a lot of new practice practice models opening up, such as transitions of care. You know, we have antimicrobial stewardship. We have, you know, long-term care facilities. So, you know, ambulatory care. There's lots of different avenues pharmacist residents could take once they once they complete a residency. It's not it's not only clinical pharmacy. It opens up administration opportunities. It opens up, you know, pharmacy informatics is a huge field these days and extremely important. Especially now with the, with the virtual world opening up even more with, of course, the unprecedented COVID, dare I mention. Yeah, so from from what I'm gathering from what you're saying, it seems like it's a great stepping stone to whatever career that you would like to pursue that's probably not community. 
And even in the community, I, I've noticed that they're starting to have residencies for that too. So that could also be a possibility. Absolutely. I mean, you know, community pharmacists, even them having a residency, you know, having being residency trained does not pigeonhole you into any type of practice. It just gives you gives you the, the, these skills and these tools that you you know in management and helping you manage your practice, giving you resiliency, um, helping you to task shift. You know, everybody everybody talks about multitasking, but you know, task shifting is sort of the it's the lesser of the two evils way to describe it because as pharmacists we need to learn how to really, you know, divert our attention to prioritization of care. And so uh, you have multiple things going on as a pharmacist, whether you're in retail, in the community, or whether you're in ambulatory care, hospital, administration, uh, rounding on floors, you know, being a zoned clinical pharmacist specialist, whatever area of practice you're in as a pharmacist, you're going to have to know how to task shift, you're going to have to learn how to be resilient, you're going to have to learn the best communication to the providers, and of course, you know, all of this to culminate in providing safe and quality care to your patients. And a residency program is a really, it, it level, it's a level up for all of that. It also gets you involved into uh, a lot of networking with, you know, all the various aspects of our practice. Uh, so you may, you may do a, a PGY1 residency and it also opens the door up to, to do a PGY2. And to continue specializing in an area that you may have just uh, really taken to in your first year. Definitely, definitely. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And just so everyone listening, so you know, we're going to kind of break this episode up into a couple parts. So the first, we're going to start off with questions pertaining to the application and the selection process. And by selection, that means us as students selecting which residency to apply to. And then we're going to transition to the interview process, kind of going over what type of things that a residency director would like in candidates and how we could prepare ourselves for an interview. And then after that, some miscellaneous questions. So to start off with the application process, um, what are some ways that we as students could build our CV besides leadership positions for a residency? You know, besides leadership positions, obviously we like to see uh, work experience. We like to know that, you know, the the pharmacist, the pharmacist intern is, is working towards, you know, getting at some sort of experience, you know, hours in, in a practice setting, mm -hmm. whether that be hospital practice, community practice, um, drug information center, it's usually, it's usually hospital or community practice. We like to see, of course, let, uh, strong letters of intent that show, you know, interest and desire to come to the residency program and also that, that the uh, candidate is really aware of our program. You know, we, we like to know that the candidate has looked at our program and has assessed what our program has to offer and, you know, to help them ascertain if this is the right fit for them, both culturally, which you learn more on an interview, but also, um, scholastically, academically, if it's what the, the resident is looking for. For example, at Winter Park, you know, we have strong, you know, antimicrobial stewardship program, infectious disease uh, learning experiences. But if you wanted to do a cardiology learning experience, I would send you to Orlando. I would send you to Celebration. And it doesn't mean you can't do the residency program at Winter Park, but we, we offer up to 25% of your learning experiences off-site and still we're considered a one-site residency. Per ASHP guidelines, you cannot go, you cannot be off-site for more than 25% of your uh, learning experiences uh, and still be considered a, a one-site residency. So we look for, you know, strong letters of intent. We look for work experience. We look at your GPA. You know, we look at a, a number of different things. Volunteering. We, we also look to see how you uh, can be integrated and how you fit the standards of our organization, the service standards of Advent Health, and our service standards are love me, keep me safe, make it easy, and own it. And we look for those four things in our candidate and um, to help, you know, us decide to decide if the candidate fits the culture of the organization and um, will blend with our team. Okay, thanks for that. So it seems like that it's not going to be just about the GPA. I feel like a lot of us as students, we always focus on the GPA and leadership positions. 
But a key component that I did like that you mentioned is volunteering and service that we do, and also also how how we show interest. So I'm assuming that would probably be through like questions during an interview, um, showing that we really search research your program, and possibly also in our letter of intent, making sure that we're mentioning some things that really pertain to that residency site. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we, we want to know that the candidate is has done some has learned about our program a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said, has a, is vested in the program somewhat and what, how, what the program can offer them and what, why they feel they would be a good fit for the program. And also, you know, I, I didn't mention, um, any research or publications that pharmacy students are, are doing their third and fourth year of school. It's also very, very, um, key and we look at that as well. Because as you know, as a resident, there are various ASHP mandated projects, longitudinal projects that a resident uh, undertakes, such as a medication use evaluation, a research project, whether it be QIQA or IRB approved, and then, of course, a uh, continuing education seminar. Thank you for that. Yeah. And then um, our next question came from Hunter. So thank you, Hunter, for, for posing this question. What do you find is most important looking at a student application? So just for your personal opinion, would it be that strong letter of intent that you were mentioning earlier? You know, when I'm looking at an application, uh, I, the, the letter of intent is very important to me as a residency program director. It's, it, of course, the, the whole application is, you know, culminates into a decision, you know, yes or no, or maybe. And, and so when we look at applications, you know, I look at the letter of intent and take it very seriously, and I think my team does as well, our preceptors. But, um, you know, also, uh, we have strong, uh, clinicians that have done some research and publications, and they will look for that as well, uh, work experience. So really, like I said, it's all very important, but does that mean you have to have all of it? No, not everybody's gonna have all of it. Um, certainly GPA alone is not is, is not a clear indicator for a, a strong candidate. I have had candidates with not so high, you know, good GPAs, but not so high, but have had great, a, a balanced application in terms of, you know, like I said before, research and publication, a volunteering, work experience, and of course, a, a, a nice letter of intent. Also, um, your, your, Preceptors as a, as a P4, APPE preceptors, letters of recommendation we look at as well and take very seriously. And so what would be something that you would like to see in that letter of rec? In a letter of recommendation, we would like to see a candidate that is flexible and adaptable, resilient. These are some of the adjectives that come to mind. Uh, we would like to see a candidate that has exemplary oral and written communication skills. We like to see candidates that have examples where they went above and beyond to help a patient or using their skills to help, you know, communicate to any provider, mid-level or, you know, of course, physician providers to make pharmaceutical interventions or to, um, you know, enhance the safety and quality for the patient. So, you know, unique stories are, are always a plus. So going back to the letters of recommendation, um, I know we talked about what you do like to see in them, but do you have a preference of where the source of the letter is coming from, whether it's preceptor focused from a job, from someone who maybe is not their preceptor, but they're at the site of their rotation, or maybe from school? Like, Do you have a preference, or is it more of what's in the letter itself? So, uh, well, aside from what I like to see in the letter, which if I... I Briefly, just went through, you know, resilience, you know, adaptability, flexibility, and clinical competency. I think a balance, you know, I, I think that, you know, I certainly, we certainly in some ways need to see preceptors, you know, that, that you've, that you've been on rotation with, you know, at least one of them are, is from a preceptor, if not two. And then, you know, sometimes I've, I get, uh, letters of recommendation from, you know, pharmacist supervisor, you know, in a, in a, in a interim position, you know, for, you know, working or, um, other courses, you know, in the pharmacy career. Okay. The value comes from the content of the letter, not necessarily the, uh, the type of your relationship with the, with that person, I should say. 
the content and what the content, you know, is, is the content balanced? Are we, you know, are we seeing, you know, some of those things that, that I've mentioned before at the candidate at the, at the next level? Okay. Thank you for that. And so then, example, Sean is, Sean is a great pharmacist intern. Sean does a good job. Jovin does a great job. Those are not strong letters of recommendation. We need to see some examples. We would like to see, you know, some, you know, indicators that, that would set you apart, that would make you a good candidate. You know, why is this person a good candidate for this program? Or why would you recommend this person? Mm -hmm. More so than how wonderful the person is. Because they're all wonderful, right? Right. Yeah. So something to really make you stand out. Mm -hmm. Stand out um, amongst your competitors, in a sense. Okay. Correct. So another question as far as for the application process. Do you have any tips or tricks? I believe this question was also from Hunter on how to develop our maybe our CV or anything that we can do in the application process to kind of stand out? You know, I think that, you know, aside from, you know, some of the things that you can do and, you know, do well in, in your in your pharmacy academics, your GPA, mm -hmm. I think getting involved, being engaged, you know, showing, putting things on there that show that, you know, did you participate in, a, in an immunization flu clinic, you know, flu clinic immunization? Did you do things like, you know, did you volunteer for Habitat for Humanity? Did you, you know, did you go and um, go to nursing home and give, you know, a talk on medications that may contribute to falls? You know, those sorts of things that, you know, that show your engagement and involvement, not only in your academic world, but in the, in the community, you know, to serve, how would, how will you serve your community as a student and now transitioning in, as a resident? Because residency, in, in the residency program, we have community outreach opportunities for the resident to practice and also give back as part of our service standards of the organization. So again, I think just getting involved, being engaged, uh, certainly research and publications, if that's a route that the candidate takes. So really, the key word for me as a residency director is balance, a balanced application and strength in many of the areas. And that includes a letter of intent because, you know, we, we like to see, and I, and I know this may be a question later, but I'm just going to go ahead and say some of the things in the letter of intent that I look for are the, the candidate's personality. Can the personality shine a little bit just by me reading a letter of intent? I'm an auditory learner personally, so, uh, you know, a lot of pharmacy uh, residents are more audio or more visual or kinesthetic. So when I read a letter of intent and, you know, it resonates with me, you know, it draws me in, you know, maybe the, the candidate tells a story at the beginning or it opens up with, you know, something that led them to trigger that passion to go into pharmacy or to serve patients or to, you know, make make a difference. Or perhaps the, uh, you know, just, uh, so I know a little bit more about the candidate besides they are, you know, a pharmacy student and they have a 3.8 GPA and they published you know, they were involved in, in publishing some research with a with a, re, a PGY1 resident as a form of layered learning. That's great, but I'd like to see a little bit more. I'd like to learn a little bit more about my um, candidate because it helps. It, it just helps. Uh, you know, helps myself and the team know maybe this is a, a good fit for the program because of this. You know, or maybe we learn something about about your your previous career. Maybe you know, pharmacy is not the first career for all. For, yeah. You know, for some people have been engineers, lawyers, you know, other have other professions, food science, etc. So um, maybe a little bit about your hobbies and what you're interested in and how it how it relates to pharmacy. I've had candidates that, that have been really passionate about nutrition and health and wellness and how they would like to, you know, implement and implement that into preventative medicine, you know, and precision medicine, which is kind of a new buzzword for the future. So a lot of different uh, avenues and, and perspectives that you can you know, kind of take to strengthen your application um, from my perspective, but also from my teams and the other teams as you apply to these programs. All right, thank you for that. So, in keeping with the theme with application, what are some things that you think a student should look at in deciding which residency is right for them? Well, they should, again, they should look at the program that they're applying to and really make sure that they are addressing that program as the correct program and that they're addressing that program 
knowing knowing what the program has to offer um, and knowing what the program doesn't have to offer and how it you know is or is not a great or a good or okay fit for them and apply you know it doesn't just because the program may not be your first choice doesn't mean you shouldn't apply yeah like you could apply to this place but also keep in mind that maybe you should take that chance to find a place that has that rotation if you're interested in psych or pain for example because yeah. Well, again, you can, you can take up to 25% in Advent Health. We're a system that's networked. So we collaborate as residency directors with the other residency directors with, within our system. So we work, we, we get creative. We develop rotations. We develop learning experiences with our current residents and with previous residents and, 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 you know, now current clinicians to help create these learning experiences to give the, the, resident the experience that they would like to get. So if I can't give you a pain management rotation, for example, but I know that there's one at the East Orlando campus, but you're my resident, I'll find you that preceptor and I will schedule, we'll schedule that out for you. We'll find the availability of the preceptor. Now if, there, now if four or five of your learning experiences are at the Orlando campus and you want to specialize in you know, you know you want to do a PGY2 in critical care and you, you're passionate about being a critical care pharmacist, then, you know, maybe you would do a PGY1 in Orlando. You would apply to all, you would apply to multiple sites, but you might focus more, um, on the Orlando campus. I was going to say, I'm actually glad you said that because in my own selection process, if they didn't, if a site did not have a rotation I was interested in, I would remove it, right? But I didn't know that certain as long as it's within the system, of course, each system could be different. Daycare could be different as far as having health. But as far as residencies, that's the thing that I didn't know that now I have to. I can't speak for daycare. I can't speak for. Yeah, yeah. But only Advent Health. Outside of our Advent Health, um, Altamont, Apopka, Winter Park, Orlando, East, Celebration, Kissimmee. Um, Central Florida region. Central Florida. Yeah, Central Florida division. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't know about that at 25% thing. That really opens up my eyes to a lot of different sites now. Yeah. Just so you know, I mean, the way it works is, you know, again, like if you were my resident, for example, or I'll just tell you, my my current resident wants to do an oncology outpatient infusion oncology learning experience. We don't offer that at my campus, but I have a connection with Celebration, well, residency director, but also the outpatient infusion manager. Who takes, who takes residents and they precept them and, and we can get her a rotation. So for that five weeks, you know, my resident would not be on site, but it's okay because we, that, that preceptor is in my farm academic, is one of my preceptors, just not at my campus. I have network preceptors all over the system. For example, I will precept residents in infectious disease antibiotic stewardship from Orlando when Orlando needs me to. I'll, I'll take some of their residents. But they're not, they, that doesn't mean I'm their director, it just means I'm precepting them and giving feedback to their director and of course them on the rotation. So. I did not know that. Now I gotta reselect my, my options. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> gotta that's redo not, my whole process now. That's, know, right? that's why, that's why typically what happens, you guys, is, you know, a lot of you apply to all of the campuses or many of the campuses mm-hmm. and then you scramble through and, and, and you, not scramble, but you, you, you interview in multiple sites and then we learn who you are, you learn who we are and how, and, and it, are we a good fit, you know, and, and you may find that we are or we're not or you like it, but you know, maybe another campus is a better fit or vice versa. And yeah, yeah. But, but we, we definitely, as the, as the years go on, I would say in the last, I mean, certainly since I started, you know, Winter Park program, we have, we, we, started off networking. I mean, we had to outsource some of our rotations because I didn't have the, pre- the qualified preceptors at the beginning to precept cardiology, to precept, you know, um, critical care, advanced critical care. So now we have, now I have more pharmacists, more preceptors, so I don't do as much outsourcing, but at the same time, I will if I have to. Well, that's great to know. Yeah. For a student, let's say they found a residency program that does interest them, how would you say a, sh- a student should show a continued vested interest in your program? What do you like to see? Well, the, you know, the application process is, 
is very well structured. So what I'd like to see, you know, post interview of if the candidate, you know, keeps in touch and asks a lot of meaningful questions to show that they are thinking about the intentionality of, you know, do they want this program or not and why they want the program. You know, maybe it's, maybe if you know that we offer infectious disease and antimicrobial stewardship, one of your questions would be, for example, do you allow your resident to round with the ID physician or the ID providers as a form of part of the learning experience? And the answer is yes. You know, I have collaborated with that physician and we have good relationship to where she will take some of our residents for a couple hours here and there and, and help precept. Not be a preceptor, but give the physician's perspective and, and show that collaboration with the pharmacist. So that would be an example of what I'd like to see. Um, what are the next questions you have? I know you're interested in the program. You've applied for it. But now, do you have any other questions? And you're not going to have all the questions at the interview or, or, or prior to. You're going to have questions afterwards. How many days do I get? How many PDO days do I get? What's, what do you do for residency burnout? What do you do? You know, how, how do you, how do you prevent residency burnout? How do I select a mentor? Who follows up? How do I, you know, what are some keys to staying on the timelines for my project? You know, those are, those are all questions that are very relevant to, you know, after the interview to, to stay interested and also to show, um, you know, the intentionality why you applied to the program, I think. So to add on to the vent vested interest, do you take interest if they've really been interactive as far as like social media as I think on their LinkedIn, following a lot of Advent Health content, take that into account, maybe um, commenting on posts and whatnot, um, befriending current residents, communicating with them. Does that kind of play a role? That's a great question. And and I I can tell you that uh, recently one of the residents at the Orlando campus did a, um, a project on social media and um, helped, you know, because now things have become extremely virtual. I mean, they always have been the last couple of years, but now they've really, it's, we've been thrusted into even more of a virtual world with COVID-19 and, you know, a lot more Microsoft Teams meetings, Zoom, whatever the platform is, but also doing so, keeping things safe information-wise, you know, having finding the right flow, flow with the meetings and everything. Some of that involves social media as well, you know, of course, there are there are rules and you know regulations with social media that you know that we, and standards that we have in the organization. But um, yeah, absolutely. You know, our we're encouraged to have as professionals and clinicians, we're encouraged to have a LinkedIn account um, to use that as a platform to network with students and residents and help. You know, it, it sort of can serve as a you know extended arm of communication, networking, um, collaboration. I mean, you guys, students and residents, collaborate to elevate our practice, and you are the future of practice. So we want to make sure that we take care of you guys and, you know, give you the opportunities to network and share information just as effectively as if you called your called somebody on the phone or emailed somebody. So I think social media is, is, a, is an excellent platform if used appropriately and um, judiciously. Right, thank you for that. And then just to go back to when you said that you would hope that somebody after they were interviewed, they would follow up and continue to ask questions and show a continued interest because there is a time frame from when we apply or from when we have an interview to when you select. So with that follow up, is there a specific person that they'll let us know to contact or would it be the residency director? Uh, you know, in, in, in my program, it, it could be myself, but it could also be one of my residency program coordinators. I have two residency program coordinators that are very active in a lot of the um, activities surrounding the application process, um, candidate selection, uh, you know, development of new learning experiences, et cetera, you know. So I have, I have a team, a residency advisory committee. Um, every campus has one. It's, it's called the RAP. Uh, and this team is responsible for the development of the program um, in terms of their current residents' progress, development of the program in terms of clinical services in their campus, and how that applies to their residents' learning, and how that resident fits, fits into that and, uh, and elevates practice. And also, um, survey accreditation per ASHP guidelines, we want to make sure that we are 
in compliance and with regulatory and um, governing body, which ASHP is the governing body of the residency program, make sure that we are ready for our survey, um, that we're you know practicing at the top of our game and always striving to improve. Thank you for that. And then to kind of finalize our questions for the application and selection process, um, now that mid-year is going to be a bit different this year being virtual, is there any ways that you feel a student can really stand out at mid-year? You know, I, I've thought about this one, and for me, it's, you know, it, first, for the first thing to figure out is how to not get lost. How to stand out is, so the, the first thing is how do you, how do you stay on the radar? You know, let's not talk about standing out. Let's talk about not falling off the radar. And if you're not loud enough, if you do not project, if you do not, you know, show interest, if you do not, if, if you don't ask the right questions, and I, and, and by, by right questions, it's subjective. Good questions, you know, strong questions, meaningful questions, then I think that you have higher proclivity propensity to fall off the radar. How do you stand out on the radar? I think someone that, like I said in the beginning, has intentionality about the, our program specifically, or if you're applying to celebration about their program specifically, you know, you know about the program to have a conversation with the director or residency program coordinator, whoever's, you know, in the interview, you know, verbal interview. Do you have a, a you know, enough background about where you're applying to to have a rapport to have that discussion with the person and then also i think um again telling us things about you that you know a little bit about your personality a little bit about how you learn you know are you visual are you kinesthetic are you auditory are you you know do you like um to, do you like to talk to providers have you had experiences with providers uh, have you made, have you done research? Who have you done research with? Who, how, what have you published? Or where have you volunteered? You know, just, you know, let us know who you are and why you want this program. Tell us about you. That's what I was about to say. Have a good elevator speech and be able to answer, um, tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself and tell me why pharmacy and then tell me why our program. If you start with tell me why why my program, but I don't, you know, it's nice to know a little bit about the, the candidate, you know, on a personal mm -hmm. level, because you're going to be, we need to know if you fit with the team uh, culturally, we need to know if you fit with the team, you know, personality, uh, and so it's all part of the assessment. So kind of going back to that, tell me about yourself. I know for a lot of students in the interview process, that can be um, a lot of the more difficult questions to answer. How would you say, like, what are some of the best answers maybe you've heard from that? Or how do you think, or what are you looking for when a student answers that question? You know, okay, so I had a couple candidates tell me they play piano. They, they're, they like to read. They, I had one student tell me she crocheted. I had another guy tell me he was heavily involved in tennis. You know, just what do you like to do outside of your, you know, do you have work-life balance? Do you have a work-life integration? You know, are, are we, are we gonna, what do you do to, you know, how do you handle stress? Tell me about a situation that, where you de-escalated a potential, potentially stressful situation, but you, you know, took a few deep breaths, critically analyzed the situation, thought about it, de-escalated it, and, you know, can talk about it, can discuss, you know, how that made, how that made you feel and how that made the patient feel potentially, how you, you know, improved safety and quality, all of those things. You know, and a little bit about yourself. You know, it's, it's, there's no perfectly scripted, you know, it, it, it also comes with, uh, tonality. Again, you want to make sure that you're not, you, you pronounce your words, you know, very well, you enunciate, you're, that we can hear you through the speakers, and I hope you can hear me, you know, that kind of thing. Don't ever be afraid to say, can you hear me? Because listen, I'm going to say the same thing. Can you hear me? That's, you know, we're, this is the world we live in. But yeah, I think just, you know, who are you? Do you, you know, do you like, do you like mystery novels? Do you like to go play golf with your dad on the weekends? Do you, do you, are you, do you have, you can talk about, I've had candidates talk about, you know, they, they're active in their church. Um, or maybe they're, you know, their, their parents were born overseas. 
just a little bit about, you know, you as a person because, you know, we, as part of our service standards is to, you know, take care of each other and take care of, you know, our residents and students. You guys are one of us. So that's why we like to kind of get a feel for that and, you know, really, really whole person is what we like to see. That balance, as you said earlier. Yeah, balance. I wish I could give you specific answers because yeah. as pharmacists, we like, we like to be literal, we like to be detailed, <laughs> we like to be specific, but this is where you need, you need creativity. And I've heard a lot of pharmacy, pharmacy students, even pharmacists older than I am, say, I'm not creative. I'm, I'm, that's, those people are, you have to be creative as a pharmacist these days. You have to think outside the box. You have to know how to communicate. You have to sell yourself in a res, in an interview. It's, you're, you're, you're promoting who you are. You're telling us why you are the person to select. And that goes for any program that you apply to. How will you improve patient care? And, you know, you know, this guy, this guy, he likes to play tennis. That's cool. I'm sure someone on my, in, in my residency advisory committee likes tennis or maybe that, you know, maybe it's not me or maybe they like computer games. I don't know. You know, what you do in your spare time is fluff, but it's important for us to know, you know, the, the whole person. So. Thank you for that. That, yeah. was, a, that was a great, that was an awesome answer. Important for you guys to think like that because it's not all about being very rigid. It's, you're not racking up points by telling us, I did this, 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 I achieved this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. We'll rack up points doing that, but you need to rack up points with being yourself and having some personality, uh, but, but being yourself, you know, obviously you need to be true. It's not a knock on, at all on school or anything, but being in school, you know, it's very structured and not really room for creativity. And that's where I feel the student orgs, I feel are very valuable because they kind of help bring out your creativity and some, um, whether it's you create a student org or within the student org, you can create something new that's never been done before. And even with like the podcast, something Sean and I, we felt we didn't really find pharmacy scratched our creativity. And that's something that he'll tell you, like he loves working this and I love working with this as well because we get to be creative and do different things. Absolutely. And that, that's, it is. To me, it's very creative. It's very innovative. And also it, uh, it's networking. You know, it is networking. And, you know, another thing, uh, I did say, you know, be creative, be yourself, but, you know, you know, of course, you know, speaking, having good, good volume, having good eye contact, the best eye contact you'd have. If there's something you want to show visually, you know, hey, this is my badge for, you know, this is where I work, whatever, you know, just those types of things I would, I would also emphasize. And also to thank, thank the, uh, you know, thank people for, inviting and to um you know thanking people for any input because you know i think it's i think it's wonderful that you guys do this you know for for the students to have a podcast so i want to thank you personally for networking and getting that getting that out there so i think that that's you know collaborating you know thank you we appreciate that yeah so thank you so much uh for being on the podcast again i know you thanked us for being creative and you know, having this podcast as an opportunity, but we really like to thank you for being on today. Um, you did give a lot of good tips, but I kind of want to go on the flip side of that. Are there any common mistakes that you know that students make either in their application or perhaps in the interview? And um, if so, how are these easily fixable and avoidable for students? Sure. Uh, so for the application process, uh, be careful that you address the residency program director as that, in fact, that person. I've um, received applications to the wrong, addressing the wrong program director. Um, be careful about dates. Be careful with, uh, you know, structure, grammar, punctuation. You know, con uh, content is extremely important, but letters of intent need to be well written. I would have some, I would certainly, you know, make sure you spell check. Make sure that you're writing in complete sentences. Don't have comma splices. I'm, I'm, really, really into grammar and, and, and really proper writing. So I think that's, that's something that's important to me with considerations. You know, I mean, I will look and consider all aspects in terms of, uh, other technical parts of the application. Uh, we want to make sure that your, your, uh, preceptors or your letters of recommendation are well written. I would read over, uh, you know, you're not going to see them, but you know, would ask that, you know, you select someone that is going to you know, go to bat for you and they're going to do a nice, they're going to do a, 
a letter of recommendation that best reflects your abilities and best reflects, you know, um, who you are, but it, it also needs to be well written, uh, to an extent. We, we, we've gotten some interesting, uh, letters of recommendation. But, but, you know, that's one thing, uh, another thing. And then in terms of when you're on site in an interview, we just, we, you know, everybody's nervous when, when they, you know, or, or, or I can't say everybody's nervous, but nerves, nerves are common, we'll say. But you don't have to let us know you're nervous. You don't, uh, and if you are nervous and you want to let us know, it's fine as well. But, um, try to, I guess advice I, I give to, would give to candidates now since, you know, this is something new for me to talk to people before the interview would be to, you know, if you are a person that struggles with nerves and we ask you to do a presentation, maybe a case presentation or ask you to, you know, um, answer some, some questions that may involve you know, some thought and then some time, just to take a moment, take a breath and, you know, um, smile, you know, keep your eye contact, don't lose composure, and then uh, do the best you can, you know, and be, be, do the best you can. I think that there's no real mistakes other than, you know, obviously you want to make sure that you don't forget to thank, don't forget to, another thing, one thing you can do to help is to repeat questions back. If you're not clear on something, you can always ask, so the question is this, that's that's also very helpful, and I think it also shows that you're, you know, trying to redirect so that you are clear and you can answer it well. Also, I have something else. When you, when you are instructed, when you're given specific instructions on parts of the interview or the process, it's important to pay attention to those details and to, you know, try to, if, if there are specific instructions on a pre how to do the presentation or you know, specific questions you're asked that, that are more clear cut. We will define too the level, you know, what, what we're looking for and we try to be very specific. So, but always ask questions because you can't, you can't go wrong. Yeah. And I, I think it comes from a place, especially as students that we don't want to mm -hmm. feel like bothering or being like a nuisance to someone. Cause especially, you know, if it's a residency director or even somebody that's a part of your committee or advisory board, they're probably extremely busy. And we don't want to seem like we're pestering. And if we can't find it on the site, like we search and we want to ask, but there's always that feeling of, hey, you don't want to be that annoying student. And then you look down upon whenever you go into the interview. So I think that's like, is there, I guess, a sample, maybe like five questions is, is a good amount to ask. You wouldn't recommend really going over more than five questions or something like that. Before the interview, yeah, I think that, you know, if, if we're going to get 25 questions, yeah, that's a lot. You shouldn't have 25 questions. I think that, you know, if, if we're not making something clear before the interview and, and, and a candidate asks a question, we're going to look at it and we're going to improve the next year. You know, anything more than maybe five, I think five questions is good, you know. Got it, got it. Yeah. And to kind of transition to the interview process, um, as far as maybe if you're allowed to tell us or if you know, will residency applications or will residency interviews be held in person this year or will they be virtual? Virtual. virtual. So, we, yeah, we are going to do them virtually. We've decided as a system to do virtual. Virtual. Okay. And, and then... And I'm comfortable telling you that from, from being on the system residency executive council that we've decided on virtual because we don't know where COVID-19 is going and we don't want to, we don't want, uh, students to, to be quarantining and to be, you know, we, we don't want to put people at risk. We want to keep people safe and that's a service standard of ours. So as an organization, we're going to do virtual until further notice. That's, that's where it stands right now at this current date and time. Okay. To be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Things change and then everybody's concerned. Things can change. I mean, I don't anticipate, you the know. The situation. Yes, yes. And, um, okay. And since it will be virtual, it's tough, I feel. I think this is just conversations with other students that I've had, other fourth year students, where especially if we have great personalities, how do we show that through the Zoom? You know, it's not the same, and not only that, but to really grasp a feel of that site. 
you know, being able what to do go, you like to do? What do you like to do in your spare time? Me? I love, yes. to, I love to read and I love to go out to eat because um, I'm, I guess you can call myself a foodie. So I eat out a lot of what different food. Do you like? Me personally? Honestly, anything that tastes good. I don't, I don't think there is a specific type. If I had to go favorite, I would probably say Italian or Chinese. Okay. Pretty diverse. You know, so then there's going to be people on the program that, you know, maybe say to you, oh, I love, you know, Francesco's, or I love, you know, yeah. Prado, it's good coastal Italian, or I love, mm-hmm. you know, the dim sum cafe down on 50, you know. It's just, it's good conversation pieces, you know. Mm-hmm. It's okay to sprinkle those in, you know. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. You, you just did it now. I asked you a question, I put you on the spot, you did it. And I will do that again and again and again because I want to know if, if the person's comfortable and I want them to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's not comfortable, you know, what makes it tough is the technology is, is a barrier or it can be thought of as a barrier. Uh, and it needs to be rehearsed. It, you need to think about timing. You need to think about, you know, oh, from eight to eight thirty, I'm here. Then I'm in this, on this, now we're, we're, you know, zooming out and we're going to be in this breakout session. And then, you know, nine o'clock we're doing this, but we're all doing it together. And if everybody does the best they can, you know, we know that we're going to have, oh, they can't hear them. It's okay. Like I would say in in these situations, it's important not to panic. Um, And it's important to, you know, just get help when you need it with, you know, I need help all the time figuring out, Wait, how did, did I share my screen right? Did I do this right? You know, we're all helping each other. So, you know, that's again, like I, like I answered you before about how, how to not fall off the radar. It's the same thing here. It's how not to, it's how to stay on first is to not let yourself fall off or get nervous or fall apart with technology. And then, you know, once you know you're, 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 everything's working and, and you're on time, just let it flow, you know, you, you may, they're going to ask you questions. They're going to ask you questions about, you know, how you handle stress or tell me about a situation that, you know, maybe you uh, overcame something or you, you know, you made a difference in a patient's outcome or, you know, how do you deal with change? You know, these are, these are types of questions that you can anticipate, you know. Thank you for that. And then I know you kind of touched upon this earlier, but this question was from Alex and she wanted to know the kind of the personality traits that would be for an ideal residency candidate. So based off some of the things you did say earlier, I think resiliency would be a, an important trait, being adaptable, a communicator. That's definitely important, whether you're doing whether you're communicating with patients or with providers or other pharmacists. And what would be, I guess, another two that you would want that you would like to see in a residency candidate? Engagement, mm-hmm. engagement with the team, dedication, own it. One of our service names is own it. Close the loop. If you're involved in a project, close the loop. If you're involved in a question from a provider, from a pharmacist, see it through. Own it. Be engaged. Get involved. Be, be part of the team. Make a difference. Those are the things that I want to see. How have you done that in the past, and how do you plan to do it in the future in our program? How do you want to change practice? Where do you see practice in five years? We want to know these things. You're the future. We want to see you grow. That's Those are the types of things I look for in a candidate. The, another question that we had from Alex, and thank you, Alex, for posting these questions. Is it better to mention specific PGY to specialty interest when you're applying for PGY-1 in the, or when you're in the interview process. So would you prefer to hear that or would you rather keep it more PGY-1 focused, your questions with that? You know, certainly, you know, the, this is a PGY-1 program, but, you know, part of applying for a PGY-2 is you, have you completed a PGY-1 successfully? And what, you know, how did you successfully achieve it? So if I have a candidate who knows that they want to, you know, they want to be an oncology specialist or they want to be an ID specialist or they want to be a critical care specialist or they want to be going to administration, I will encourage, I will ask them 
throughout the year, we have quarterly development plans as director or resident relationship, working relationship. And I, and I, we are, it's part of the SHP requirements. We will look to see, we will discuss with our residents, how are you doing? And are you still interested or are you interested in the PGY2? And if you are, you know, so I think that, that that's a, absolutely a fair thing to ask and, uh, ask about PGY2 programs in a PGY1 because it shows the, the candidate's interest, you know, it's, and it's a reality too. We need, you know, um, PGY1s to go on and do PGY2s. Not all of them, but we do need them. And it's the right path for certain people. So it's, I think it's very acceptable. I don't think it should be a focus because, you know, you need to finish one to get to the next. Exactly. Exactly. Just not to get ahead of ourselves and we don't know how you will interpret that. So that's why, you know, that's one of our questions that we wanted to ask you. It's not quite as dichotomous as, you know, a, a first year pharmacy student, you know, going and, 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 and going in and, and discussing how they're going to be a pharmacist, you know, when they still have three more years to complete, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, it's certainly it's relevant, you know, because it's one year after and you must complete a PGY1 to get to the PGY2, so. Thank you for that. And then next we're going to just transition to our miscellaneous question. So one of the questions that we have for you is what are the pros and cons of doing a residency at a smaller hospital versus a larger one? So the pros of doing a residency in a small hospital certainly would be one, um, you really get to know all members of the team or you have the op opportunity to get to blend and know a lot more team members within the pharmacy and providers. Um, you get to learn working styles of individuals more and you can take their strengths and learn maybe things that you would not want to do the way they do them. Maybe it's a weakness to you or a barrier. And you also have the opportunity to be integrated culturally and, you know, blend with a team more in a smaller hospital. You really get to know your patients a little bit more because you have maybe frequent flyer, we call them, or revolving door patients, um, or frequently admitting pa admitted patients. And, you know, at, at my campus, for example, we have a, a very, like, family-like culture. You know, people know each other, you know, a little bit about each other. Um, and in a lot, in, in some of the cons to that, though, you, you may not have the opportunity to, you know, for example, my campus doesn't have lung transplant. You would go to Orlando for that to really, you know, do a strong transplant rotation. But the type, the types of rotations are are um, not always as specialized in smaller hospitals, and uh, so you, you know, in larger hospitals you have uh, more opportunity to do a specialty rotation or a very specific rotation. You have more preceptors in a larger hospital. You have more patient diversity to get patient experience, clinical, you know, skills from, uh, to harness from. For example, in ID, I'll teach you about cellulitis, pneumonia, all the basics, you know, and, you know, and then stewardship. And then we'll talk about meningitis. But throughout the rotation, you may only, you may not see any meningitis. You know, we might just have to do case presentations. Because I might not have a meningitis patient for a few weeks, and then after the rotation, we'll have one. But at Orlando, you're more likely to see meningitis because they have more patients. So it's just one example I can think of. Um, and of course, on networking, you have a little bit more opportunity to network at larger campuses, but you also don't get to know the people or have the time and the opportunity because it's so large and you've got to move around to really be placed with consistent people at the same time. So there's pros and cons. And it and it also depends on what you as an individual like. Some people like the class size of, you know, 10. Some people like a class size of 100. Some people want to be, you know, um, a little more targeted and have, you know, a little bit more of a standout role. And others want to be, you know, part of a larger group. Are you more of a team player? Are you more, do you like to work more individually? Do you like to be a leader? Do you like to be a contributor, but not take the lead? Those are types of things to consider as well. And then also, what about, sorry for putting you on the spot with this one, because this was a, one of the previous questions, but I, it just came to me. As far as with sites that have other residents, so medical residents and other careers, do you look at that as a pro 
or as a, not as a con, but would you look at a site that didn't have that as a con? I, I wouldn't look at, I wouldn't necessarily look at it as a con. I, I think that, you know, we have family practice residency, a geriatric residence, uh, you know, medical residence mm -hmm. um, at our campus, and I have my resident on internal medicine, you know, round with them, and, you know, there's a collaboration that we've developed with our medical residents, and the director of that those residents works with me to coordinate our um, mutual resident schedules and, and you know, so I, I think that it's it's a it's definitely a benefit to get your pharmacy practice resident involved with collaborating with different providers, you know, respiratory therapists, nursing, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, physical therapy, nutrition, dietary. You know, it's it's important to collaborate interdisciplinary because that's the reality. We work with all types laboratory personnel, you know, in, in ID and microbiology, you know, it's, we, we, we're calling the micro lab. We're, so it's, it's good experience for residents to learn different processes, understand different SOPs and policies within their, you know, and how there's overlap and how it all closes the loop, as I said earlier, for your patient care. Thank you for that. And then yeah. for our last question, this is from Gino at Gainesville, so the UF campus in Gainesville. So thank you, Gino, for posting this question. Um, he wanted to get a bit personal. I wanted to know, what are some of the things you like to do in your free time outside of pharmacy? So me? Yes. So I I am a tennis player. <laughs> I use that as an example. I'm a tennis player. I like to, um, I enjoy cooking and having people over pre-COVID, <laughs> spending time with my family, friends. I enjoy, I'm a piano player, so I play piano since I was seven. I, I enjoy mentoring. I enjoy um, helping, you know, um, in, in, in our area, in our, you know, our profession. So doing things like I'm doing now, taking time to um, mentor and grow young, young pharmacists. Or, um, you know, I also enjoy volunteering every now and then. Yeah, and I like movies, and I like, uh, you know, self-care. I think self-care is important. Make sure I'm taking care, making sure I'm taking the time for myself. And also, I like to do home improvement projects every now and then. I get wrapped up in a project around my house, so. That's good. You stay busy. Stay busy, yeah. Wow. If we were interviewing you for a residency position, I think you nailed that question uh, out of the park. Well, thank you. <laughs> Maybe I should do a residency. <laughs> it's never too late. Never too late. It's never too late. But uh, yeah, thank you again for answering a lot of the questions that we had. I really think you gave some great sound advice for anyone who's listening who is considering a residency. So thank you for sort of being that um, mentorship role that you were speaking about. But in this time, it's the avenue of you being on the podcast. So we do truly appreciate it. Did you have any questions for me and Joven? One question for both of you. It's the same question. What are your interests clinically? What are some of your passions in, in, uh, for pharmacy for your future? What would you like to learn about? What's the thing you most would like to learn about in pharmacy? Uh, I'll go first because usually I make Sean go first. I can think of an answer. Always do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, first off would be pharmacogenomics. But first thing I was mentioning, as I mentioned earlier. Great. That intrigues me. Second would be psychiatry. But I still don't know if I can deal with that patient clientele. I haven't had an experience in, um, inpatient with that. So I don't know yet. It's there. Those were my top two going into rotations. Now, currently I am at Advent Health Celebration. And then I kind of, I found a passion for transitions of care. So that's something else that I'm really interested in right now. So that's, I would say those three things. Um, I would say to rank them, pharmacogenomics, transition to care, and then psychiatry. All great stuff because pharmacogenomics helps to tailor drug therapy for psychi psychiatric drug therapy. Mm -hmm. And transitions of care is the future of pharmacy, just so you know. It is, it is the future. We need to find ways to, to prevent readmission. We need to find ways to provide better home care. We need to provide ways to get better quality care to the patient, the drug, you know, get the drugs to the patients, make sure that they're counseled and they, they know how to take their medication and what side effects to look for. So really, I think that you have strong interests uh, for the future of pharmacy. That's good. How about you, Sean? 
Uh, so currently, my interest, I am really interested and heavily invested in learning more about critical care. I've had two good ICU rotations, one at Apopka and one at Central Florida Regional Hospital. And I really like the challenge of managing these patients. And I really feel because they have a lot of critical disease states, they're on a lot of medications. I really feel like there's a lot of areas where pharmacists can intervene and really impact this patient's level of care. My second interest currently, I haven't taken the rotation yet because I do have an infectious disease rotation later on. But even in my ICU or my um, gen med rotation, I really have an interest in antimicrobial stewardship or infectious diseases. I really like um, making sure like, I can manage patients, um, drug therapy, make sure they're on at the right indication, the right length, right stop date. And I really had some practice doing uh, de-escalation, and that's something that I feel like is really important for the future of care for all of our patients and minimizing uh, resistance. And in the long term, I really want to get into management because I do like um, mentoring others. I do like being a leader. I do want to be a clinical manager eventually, and then I do like teaching others, so I'm thinking about maybe being like a part-time professor for like a pharmacy school or a college later on in life. So those are my current goals. Great. You guys have, you both have great um, interests and goals, and, and re relatively diverse too. I don't think there was much overlap between either answer. So it's just a good example of, you know, I could ask others on this, you know, you know, what are your interests? Type it in the chat or something. But, you know, it's, it, you're going to find all kinds of interests. Um, and those interests will change. They will change because you, you will have experiences and you will have preceptors and you will have people that, that impact you or you'll have patients that impact you or you'll learn something that impacts you and you say, wow, this is really, this, this is really interesting to me. And you're going, it, you're going to find that the most, the things that interest you the most are what probably come most naturally to you. Because you will be, able, you will get satisfaction out of practicing in that area. For me, it's infectious disease, antibiotic stewardship, uh, as a practitioner, and of course, as a manager, as a mentor, as a residency director. That all, that all came later. But you know, my clinical passion and, and, and specialty is infectious disease, and it's something that, you know, like you were saying, Sean, it's globally impactful, and it's, you know, we need to, you know maintain what we have because we can't develop drugs faster than the bacteria and the viruses can develop resistance so and the fungus so it's a good answer uh, just to kind of wrap things up in closing i just wanted to say that my takeaway point for this episode would be one to be a balanced candidate balance was the key word that i heard a lot and as far as personality traits definitely want to be able to show resiliency adaptability um, show that you're a good communicator, whether it be oral or written, your clinical competency, be engaged not only within school, in the realm of school, but also in your community, and also um, be dedicated. Be dedicated to pharmacy, be dedicated to being a continuous learner, um, be dedicated to being a great worker and wanting to improve and better yourself within the profession and as a person. And also just some other takeaway points that I did have on here is to definitely as far as a letter of intent and in the interview process to make sure you you show your passion show who you are as a person and that will be displayed and illustrated through your passion so be passionate um, mention the service that you've done throughout the community that you've done throughout your time in school and definitely 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 show gratitude and thanks um, to anybody that you spoke to and also to your current preceptors for anything that they've taught you and your experiences that you're going through now in your fourth year. Um, Sean, did you have anything else you want to add to that? Um, I think that was a great point that you made. Um, it's really just be yourself. And I think if you be yourself, you're going to take down a lot of the barriers that you may think are in your way, whether it's, for example, COVID and having to do a lot of things virtually. If you're just yourself and you sort of loosen up, like Brian was touching on with a lot of the uh, questions that are more personal to you and things like of that nature. Really just being yourself and being the most diverse candidate you can really be. I feel like it's really beneficial. And relatable. Make yourself relatable to who you're speaking with. Because we're all, we're all related in the, in the, our interest in pharmacy, the profession, in, you know, integrating into patient care, integrating to, you know, the, the time, the sequencing of how 
you know, you do PGY1, maybe you do PGY2, you go into pharmacy practice. There's, you know, what, what you're talking about would be relatable. Tell us about you and what you've experienced thus far. And, you know, you'll find that when you're describing your experiences and your stories, you'll find the, the other person saying, yeah, you know, I, oh, I remember I, I was in the IV room and I just missed this. It's relatable. So, you know, yeah, but that's great. Those are, you, you, you hit all of the takeaway points. Um, but I would just add be relatable. All right. Thank you for that. In closing, thank you so much, Dr. Marini, for coming on. I know you're super, you're a super busy person and a week. My pleasure. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. We appreciate you for being on here. And, um, thank you to everybody for giving us questions. Alex, uh, Gina, both Alexes, sorry, both Alexes, Gino, um, in Gainesville and also Hunter in Orlando. And then also, if you haven't yet, please like and subscribe, um, to our social medias. So Facebook, definitely like our page, like our content. And then when it comes to Instagram, you can follow us at, at Capsule Production. And on there, uh, we have Test Knowledge Thursdays where we post quizzes. Um, some NAPTOS related content and pharmacy related content, of course. So anything, um, you guys can check it out. It's real quick. We also keep it on our highlights. So if you missed a quiz that week, you can always check it on the highlights. And then we post follow up on next day or over the weekend. We usually post our rationale for why that answer is correct. So that way you guys can always know the why behind, um, a question and an answer. And then also, um, just be sure to look out for anything new that we have coming up. We're going to have some new posts coming out, kind of talking about some different things related to residency that we gathered from Dr. Marini and also Dr. Jeff Panther, who was on our previous episode. So once again, definitely like and um, subscribe to our content, Instagram at Capsule Production and Facebook. You can just search for our page, Capsule Production Podcast. Um, Sean, is there anything else? Um, just a sincere thank you for everyone that has been listening to our episodes and following us on our Instagram. And huge shout out to Dr. Marini again for being on the podcast. We truly appreciate you bringing your insight and your knowledge for us students who are listening to this episode of this podcast. And then, yeah, thank everyone for answering our questions, um, whether you remained anonymous or you, you were shouted out on the podcast. Thank you guys again. See you guys next time.